listening to Faith and Family. I'm Andy Bates. Joining me in studio today for the second half of the program, the Chancellor of LCMSU, the Reverend Marcus Zill. We're going to take a look at a new book called Welcome to College, A Christ Follower's Guide for the Journey. Take a look at uh, life on campus for college students, particularly for Christian students today. What does that look like? We'll talk with Pastor Zill in the second half. Up in just a moment. We'll revisit a conversation with Pastor Charles St. Ange. He's a missionary serving the Lord in Latin America and the Caribbean. Joining me in studio today, Charles St. Ange, missionary serving the Lord in Latin America and the Caribbean. Welcome today, Charles. It's great to be here. Thank you for having me. Thanks so much for being my guest. Now, you serve as a pastor, a missionary, husband, a father, tons of other vocations, it sounds like. I have many hats, um, (laughs) literally in my closet and also figuratively the ones that I wear. Um, I get to serve as an LCMS pastor and missionary in Montreal, Quebec, Canada. I serve an LCMS congregation there that has a French worshiping community that's part of our partner church in Canada, a Chinese worshiping community, and then I serve the English congregation. But I'm also the area facilitator for Puerto Rico, Jamaica, and Grand Cayman Islands in the Caribbean. So I'm spread out a little bit. And as you did say, I'm married, been married for 16 years to my wife, Deborah, and we have two children, Olivia and Sophia. One's in high school and the other is in elementary school. So living in Montreal, traveling then to uh, to Latin America and the Caribbean as well, covering those those places, visiting with the, those congregations from time to time. Yes, I make probably one trip a month to the south. Um, my responsibility as area facilitator is to partner with our missionaries that are already there in the field to help them um, when they run into situations where they need some direction and to work with both them and the people that the Lord has called to faith through them to think strategically. Think, what do we want to do next? What are some new ways that maybe we haven't explored of bringing the gospel of Jesus Christ to our community? So that's been a particularly challenging but also very fulfilling part of mission work to actually be on the field in those places, get to know the people and the pastors, and be able to take a lot of what they've told me and then put it into perhaps an idea that they hadn't considered before. When did you start thinking that the ministry, being a pastor, is was a potential vocation for you? When did you start thinking about the ministry? Well, I started thinking about it as I think many young men do when a pastor approached me and said, I really think you would be a great minister. And that was all the way back in eighth grade as I finished confirmation. And up till that point, I'd never really thought about it. Um, I went through high school and as I was getting about halfway through and thinking about, well, what direction I want to go for college, I called up that same pastor and he said, absolutely, I think you would be a great minister. Go and do something else. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, that was a very interesting advice. I've actually given it to to some other young men as well. Because what he meant by that was um, he's seen a lot of people who end up just studying religion, just studying theology, that first of all, get really locked into it and find it very difficult to walk in other people's shoes. They don't really know what it's like to be uh, a worker in the environment, uh, in an office, in a factory, um, except as they listen to other people's stories. So... I really loved engineering. So I actually did two degrees in engineering and worked as a civil engineer before the Lord through the church, through various congregations said, we think that pastor really had it right and it's about time that you go to seminary. So I did. How did that experience working as an engineer 
shape you as a person and how does that shape your vocation, your service as a, as a minister? Well, first of all, it's broadened by educational background. Um, I spent an awful lot of time studying issues in science, obviously as an engineer. I had to reach some new conclusions about the creation of the world, about God's role in that. I actually was raised as a, an evolutionist and somebody that had sort of always accepted that the earth was um, 4.5 billion years old and the universe maybe 14 billion. And my interest in apologetics came as I started to study the things that I'd always accepted as being true, um, but that other people differed with me on. And the more I studied that, the more I became convinced that um, things that are often proclaimed as known for sure and certain aren't as well known as everybody thinks and as well established. So because of my engineering background, I've done a lot of presentations and talking with kids about how you can be a faithful scientist and a faithful engineer and still believe fully in the inspiration of scripture and that God really has spoken through his prophets and evangelists. On a more practical note, I have worked on projects with people across a number of different fields. I understand what it's like to have a job where you work Monday through Friday and then overtime is on the weekends, whereas as a pastor, it's it's the schedule is very, very different. Um, weekend means something very different to a pastor. Um, oftentimes, pastors, too, that haven't worked outside of a church can find it difficult to relate to people that just have a very different experience in their vocational lives and their lives with their families. And I can always go back and even look at my short second career and say, yeah, I, I can understand where you're coming from. And as your pastor, I can now minister to you maybe a little bit better than someone who's never had those experiences. So it certainly helped you to, to understand their circumstances, understand their context. Absolutely. When did you start thinking about serving as a missionary? I think it started simply with the idea of expanding the congregation where I was serving at the time, expanding their gospel ministry and outreach. I was serving in a, in a large congregation that had an increasing number of people that were driving half an hour, 45 minutes, in one case, an hour and 20 minutes each way to come to the church. And I asked the question, Perhaps it's time to plant another congregation that would be a little bit closer, not simply to serve those people directly, but because one of the ways churches grow is when people invite their friends and neighbors to come. Not every friend or neighbor who isn't church going is immediately going to say, let's spend two hours in the car every Sunday so that we can go and learn about this person called Jesus. So that was sort of the, the inspiration and the starting point was exploring the idea of being a church planter. And it sort of moved on from there. So you explored this idea of being a church planter. And then when did you become uh, a missionary serving in the, this region, Latin America and uh, the Caribbean? Well, it all began with a newspaper article in The Reporter, uh, which is our LCMS newspaper that said, we are really looking for missionaries all around the world, people that would be willing to leave their continent to go and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to somebody, maybe even in a different language. And I started a conversation with our Office of International Mission, and our first posting was actually to Asia, um, where we served for four months. We needed to return um, for health reasons for one of our daughters. 
And as the church and I explored different places where we might put my skill set to use, the fact that I was Canadian and spoke French, um, that I had mission experience and also management experience, eventually ended up with this position of serving as an area facilitator in Latin America, but then also as a parish pastor back in Montreal. What did your family think when you first started talking about serving as a missionary? You mentioned, I think you served in Asia first. Yes. Is that right? what, did, what did your family think about that? What did your extended family think about that when you started talking about serving as a missionary? Well, my, um, my father had a habit that when, whenever he was approached with a new position that was going to involve a move, he would invite my mother out to lunch. And I've sort of done the same thing. So one day I called up my wife and said, hey, let's go have Chinese today. <laughs> so we did. And over the course of lunch, I just sort of threw that out there and said, what would you think if we were to go and do mission work in another country halfway around the world? And I sort of expected the reaction would be, are you crazy? Um, how can you even think about doing such a thing? And I should have known my wife better because her reaction was was quite the opposite. It was sort of a thoughtful pause and something along the lines of, well, tell me more. What are you thinking? And over the course of about a month's sort of discernment, we both decided that um, this was something where we could really put our skills and our talents to use in the kingdom of God in a unique way. And we're willing to step forward and say, here am I, send me. Our extended families were not at all as keen. Um, we have the two first uh, grandchildren on both sides of the family. The idea of taking those grandchildren a long way away from their grandparents was difficult. At the same time, because as a pastor, we were already living far away from our families, they realized that they probably weren't going to see us all that much less than they already were. Um, pastor's work is difficult. We get vacations at odd times. It is very difficult to get home. And our parents knew that they'd be able to come and visit us where we were. But it's still very difficult. I think one of the most difficult challenges missionaries face is telling their extended family because the reaction is, why can't you just minister here? And the answer to that is Christ's answer to all of us, which is go forth and take the gospel to the ends of the earth that all of creation might hear the good news. You bring up a good point that pastors, you know, it, it, the, the pastor's lifestyle, you know, is not a, oh, we take a vacation at Christmas and, and go visit our family on Christmas. Pastors have responsibilities on Christmas. Yes, <laughs> yes. Just... It tends to be that um, all the holidays where parishioners get very excited and tell us, oh, we can't wait to go back and see our family, happens to be the busiest day of the month for us. <laughs> um, same with long weekends. Oftentimes people don't realize that as they are looking forward to a long weekend, three days off with their family, our workday, most importantly, falls right in the middle of that long weekend. We are really not going anywhere because we need to be around on Saturday and Sunday for services. And that might give us an extra day off on Monday. But um, you do realize as a pastor that so much of our economy is centered around weekends and you give that up. And as a missionary, you're simply taking the next step of saying, well, am I really willing to give up maybe proximity and some creature comforts? so that other people might be saved and be with us eternally. And obviously the answer of missionaries is yes, we're willing to do that. 
Tell me about the places you've visited uh, where you serve in Latin America and the Caribbean, the, the places where you're supporting those missionaries who are on the ground there. Absolutely. There are fascinating things happening in the Caribbean. Um, most people, if you mention the Caribbean, think beaches, they think palm trees, they think resorts. And they often forget that these are countries that are some of the poorest in the world. Once you get away from the resorts, um, you get into developing situations where um, running water is not always uh, easily available or you wouldn't necessarily want to drink it, where um, health care is not as accessible as it is here in North America um, and where people are struggling to make ends meet. So in Jamaica, we have a missionary actually from our partner church in Nigeria who serves in Kingston and has uh, is serving an existing congregation and has established a second congregation in the downtown area. My work has largely been to support him because, as I often point out, Jesus sent people out two by two, and here he's only one. So I am his second, and I try and fulfill that role as best I can. I help when there are health care needs with his family. I help when there is friction, as sometimes happens, between congregations and pastor. And most importantly, and the part I get the most joy with, is to visit there and ask congregation and pastor, what are we doing next? What's the next thing we're going to do to bring the gospel? And in the case of Jamaica, um, we would like to establish a permanent building. We have yet to have a facility we can call our own in Kingston, and that's something where we're at the stage where we would like to have that. We also have the possibility of starting a third congregation, which means looking for another missionary that can help assist Pastor Ite and his work there. In the Cayman Islands, uh, it's very small. You can drive from one end of the island in another in about 40 minutes. There are about 50,000 people. And yet there are people that come there from all over the world to work. And there are also lo local people who, while they may be churchgoers, have never really heard the gospel. So our challenge there has been demonstrating that as Lutherans, something that, that really they've never heard of, um, we are serious about what we are doing on the island. And so we are working hard to open, we hope will be the first Lutheran early childhood center in the Cayman Islands that will also give us a permanent facility in the Caymans from which to operate. And then lastly, in Puerto Rico, we have two missionaries. Um, one is working in Mayaguez which in, with an existing congregation. The second one has planted a new congregation in the second largest city in Puerto Rico, which is in Ponce. And a lot of my work has been helping each of them settle in their communities, figure out how will we rent space for a new congregation if we need one. And then lastly, looking at where our third congregation will be, because I think one of the most important tasks of the area facilitator is to always be looking at the next thing. What do we need to do next and how can I help make that happen? As you look at the next thing, what do you have to consider about the present as you look at the, the next thing? Are there things that you need to take into consideration about the present as you're thinking about what will we do next? We are always strengthening teams. Um, the Lord takes solo acts. He created a church, and a church is made of many members, um, not all of whom have the same gifts. If you look at it from a glass half full perspective, that's a fantastic thing because it means the Lord makes sure that every church in every place has the gifts it needs to move forward. The glass half empty is everyone criticizes everyone else's gifts. 
Why aren't you more like charismatic like me? Why aren't you more logical like me? And so facilitator means to facilitate, means to make things easier. And it means helping people recognize the gifts that each other have so that they can work together for the good of the kingdom. And that is a large part of my job. And I think a very important part to have that person that can come and say, can you each in the midst of your perhaps minor quarrel with each other, see that the Lord has each placed you here um, as people of God because he wants each of you to use your gifts for the good of his kingdom in this place. So in the present, we always want to make sure that our churches and our missionaries are working well together and recognizing in each other the gifts that God has put in that place. How have, uh, how have you gotten to know the missionaries that you support uh, tell me about the relationship with the the missionaries that you've that you support that you've that you work with. Well, I mean, the best way to get to know people is to spend time with them, and so I do spend a lot of time on each of the islands where I will stay with people in their homes, um, eat the same meals that they eat, do devotions with them together. They take me to places that they think are important for them on the island. I have seen the schools that um, our missionary children attend in Puerto Rico. I have seen what they do in their spare time. And with each trip, the more we worship together, the more we visit with each other, the more you develop a level of trust and an ability to work together. And um, that's been a really neat thing to see, that with each trip I make, the children are happier to see me. I'm not just some strange person that's coming to the house. Um, Goodness Ite in Jamaica knows me as the ice cream pastor, because we now have a tradition that when I come to the island, we go out for ice cream at Devon House. And I have to say, it's some of the best ice cream that I have had ever, anywhere. So you develop those relationships. And mission work really is about relationships. It's our relationship with each other and our relationship with Christ. What have you learned about each of those cultures? I mean, each of these islands, I'm sure, has a different culture. What have you learned about these cultures that you've come to appreciate? What are the challenges that each culture might present? I often talk about my four islands and how each of them really are islands in some way. They are unique in the world and the way they operate. So in the Cayman Islands, we have a mixture of local people who used to be part of the Jamaican culture, but then be, because of Jamaican independence became spliced off with people who come from all over the world to work in high finance. And it creates a very unique sort of dynamic between rich and um, middle class, lower class on the island and a unique identity. They are very fiercely Caymanian on the island. Jamaica, very much the same thing. There is a sense of African culture on the island, and yet in some ways they have some of the worst of North American culture where we can be very individualistic and very afraid of outsiders, um, where everything is Jamaica first, and we're very um, slow to open up to people that might come from off-island and, and might be suspect. Puerto Rico is fiercely Puerto Rican. Um, they are Spanish speakers, even if many of them speak English. They do not want to be thought of as part of the United States. They want to be thought of as, as an own, their own independent nation. And they are incredibly outgoing and incredibly friendly. It doesn't mean it doesn't take time to get to know people, but I have found them to be some of the easiest if you're willing to invest the time to get to know. 
And then, of course, Montreal, which is my last island and, and <laughs> is literally an island in the middle of the St. Lawrence River, um, is probably one of the most unique cities in North America for being uh, majority French speaking and yet having cultures from all over the world speaking English, French, Chinese, Urdu, um, languages that uh, only handfuls of people speak. Even Spanish is now becoming a more widely spoken language there and certainly Arabic. And seeing how all these cultures with two overriding and sometimes competing languages have all sort of blended together. Um, at the same time, it's difficult to work in a city where Christianity used to be the majority religion in the form of Roman Catholicism. Uh, but now clearly Islam is probably the most practiced religion in the city and Christianity has had to learn to find a new place for itself as one of many voices that's speaking out. Um, and that comes with its own opportunities because when you don't have a lot of people that have preconceived ideas about your faith, it's often easier to share it. Um, it can be much more difficult to share your faith when people think they already know what you're there to talk about. Hmm. To ever find, you know, in serving so many places, serving in Montreal and the the, the other islands as well, trying to remember where you are, what, yes. what, what congregation you're in or, or what language you're speaking. or I do joke the, with some people that, um, you know, I wake up and say, oh, it's Tuesday, I must be in Jamaica. Um, th <laughs> there is a certain amount of that during certain times of the year. Um Sometimes travel's a little bit more bunched up. I do obviously have my family that's back home, and I take very seriously my vocation as father. And when I do come home, I try as best I can as a sinful person to spend time with, with Deb and to spend time with the girls. I can always do better on that, and I strive to. Um, but I do find that the Lord has... Um, maybe because of our frequent moves as a family when I was young, maybe because my parents had a love of travel, that it's prepared me for situations where I um, am able to adapt rather quickly to whatever food might suddenly be placed in front of me. And it can be vastly different from day to day. But the Lord has also um, been trying to teach me patience. And there certainly is a great need for patience when you're dealing with new cultures, with different cultures a need to not get angry when people aren't maybe doing things as fast as you would like them to, um, and a need to show the patience that Christ Jesus showed with us. As I read the Gospels as a missionary that travels in four different places, I see a Lord who occasionally in the Gospel of Mark loses patience, and one can understand why, because he is so focused on the salvation of the world but also a Lord who, who does show great compassion and patience for people that is always willing to give a second chance, that is willing to come to a Peter who's denied him and bring him back into the fold. And my desire and my work is to try and demonstrate that same patience to the missionaries I work with, to the people that I've been called to serve, that they might see, as they saw in St. Paul, a reflection of their Lord. What is your advice or your encouragement to someone who's thinking about serving as a missionary in the near future or distant future? When I, shortly after I accepted my call to the mission field, um, I ran into via email a former missionary who had served 20 years overseas, um, not Lutheran, it was with a different, uh, different group. But he offered this advice. He said, 
I really think it's good if you're thinking about mission work, especially in a particular field, find yourself two weeks and go there. Just go and be part of that culture for a couple of weeks. Um, and then when you go back, um, be prepared to, to go back for a year. But then understand that at the end of the year, you're going to come back. Acculturate yourself. Get a feel for what it's like to be away from friends, away from family. And secondly, I think one of the other most important pieces of advice that I've ever heard and taken is in realizing that I have a culture. One of the mistakes that I think we make in the United States, especially, is in thinking that we are normal and that everybody else has a culture. Canadians actually are particularly bad at this because we talk about multiculturalism and what we mean is everybody else's cute dresses and food that they eat as compared with the normal food that we have and enjoy. <laughs> what we have and enjoy to eat, what we like wearing, what we enjoy watching on television, that's our culture. And it's only one culture amidst all the other cultures of the earth. That doesn't mean every culture is equally good. Um, it means that it's just different. And so to accept when you go to a new place that you're going to miss your culture and identify those things and rejoice in them. And also, as you're seeing how other people act, how they deal with appointments and time, how they deal with um, how close they stand to you or how far, recognize that that's their culture coming through. And that what you need to do is figure out how to be accepting of their culture while also remembering who you are and what culture you come from. To find out more about your work and keep up with the St. Ange family, lcms.org, S-T-O-N-G-E, lcms.org slash S-T-O-N-G-E, right? Absolutely. And I also have a personal website where I post our monthly newsletter and galleries and videos, and that is intheway.org. All one, all together, no spaces, no periods, intheway.org. In the way.org. Very good. The Reverend Charles St. Ange, serving the Lord in Latin America and the Caribbean. Thanks so much for being my guest today. Thank you for having me. Listen to Faith and Family Monday through Friday at this time. Faith and Family is a listener supported program. Your financial support is needed for Faith and Family to continue. Our address is 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri 63122. You can contact us on the web and download Faith and Family at KFUO.org. Worldwide KFUO, on the air, online, and on demand. Concordia University, Wisconsin and Mequon overlooks a half mile of beautiful Lake Michigan shoreline. CUW campus is located 15 miles north of Milwaukee with over 70 undergraduate majors, 28 graduate degree programs, and doctorate programs in pharmacy, physical therapy, occupational therapy, and nursing practice. CUW offers online learning and accelerated learning at one of nine Wisconsin centers and one in St. Louis. Traditional or accelerated education, CUW has the program for you. CUW.edu.